Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Let's pray for the Word of God. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the refreshing of your presence, the actual being able to come to a place to open up our hearts to you, Lord, to be able to celebrate your victories in our lives, give you worth and value of our time, of our talents, of our treasures. We pray, Father God, that you would speak to us a word this morning that would cause us to draw nearer to you, that if there is a desire in our heart to be convicted and return to the place where you are the first and the highest of everything in our lives, or everything comes from you, and our blessings are evident and our peace is profound, we pray that your word would be a good seed this morning, planted in good hearts that would give forth good fruit, Lord, that you be glorified, that you take center place in our lives, and that we lift you up as high as we can so that all men draw near to you. We pray that you give us a pure conscience, a clean conscience, because that's where faith works. Remove those things that are an hindrance and an impediment. Let us see the schemes of the devil that's causing us to depart and to grow cold in our faith, Lord. And thank you for families that desire to celebrate what you celebrate, desire to move in the direction that your coming is eminent and darkness is growing in the land. Father, we pray that you continue to sanctify us and to do a good work in our lives, Lord, and to be glorified and that all men might be able to come and follow the God that we follow and serve the God that we serve and worship the God that we worship. We pray, Father God, that we not be ashamed at your coming, that there would be no regrets in loving you fully and absolutely and entirely with all our strength, all our mind. All who we are, Lord, is because who you are in us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the plans that you have for us to prosper us, to give us a future and a hope. And we pray that all our families would be here worshiping the living God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. I want to give this as a introduction and a precursor that this call to enter by the narrow gate is a powerful call and not a lot of people want the narrow gate. We're living in a time of excessive abundance and I can tell you that if you walk in that way, it will lead you to destruction. There's nothing wrong with you adhering to God's words, and this is Jesus speaking, enter in through the narrow gate. Not a lot of things fit through that narrow gate, and there's a lot of things that you have to let go. And this is just the realities and the essence of our faith. The Bible says, he who loses his life will find it, but whoever wants to find their life will lose it. And so all those concepts need to be interpreted through the Spirit, otherwise it wouldn't fit in this modern age. But you have to find out if, in fact, you hear the voice of the Lord leading you to a narrow way of life. One of the things that was mentioned last night by Jules when he was giving thanks to those of us that were there were uh, 
he had lived outside of Miami for a long period of time. And to come to, back to Miami was going to be a huge challenge. And he says, man, if we go back there, the influence is so strong. But the truth of the matter is that there is a narrow gate even in Miami. There's a narrow way of living that does not include everything that other people are moving towards. So when Jesus says, enter in through this narrow gate, you need to make it intentional that you are not like the people that have chosen the wide gate, the broad way. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way. There's, there's a place that has no limitations and that you can continue to conduct affairs uh, in a wide manner and in a broad expression. But if you see the end of that way where you're not intending purposefully to remove yourselves from it, that way and that gate leads to destruction. I don't know what that means in the lives of many people that are here. Um, I've always said that I wish that those who took the wide gate and the broad way would be more outspoken about their destruction instead of allowing people to think that that is the way that is full of blessing. The Bible says there are many who go in through that wide gate and the broad way. So we look on every side and I, I don't want to see 20 years from now that choosing not to walk narrowly would lead your eyes to see no peace and ruin and loss. Verse 14, Jesus continues on to say, because narrow is the gate and difficult the way that leads to life. So that pretty much describes what we have chosen. It has not been easy to walk in the direction of the Bible and as the Holy Spirit leads us. So if you find it to be narrow, very few are involved. If you find it to be hard and difficult, if you find that, that not everybody is running in this direction, it's because Jesus says there's only a few who are able to find this life. And so to me, it's a great honor that I have been invited to participate in a manner that is not consistent with what surrounds me in my company as the Lord called me out uh, many years ago. And so I see that, that there were difficult decisions and there were uh, specific uh, scenarios and, and relationships that I could enjoy. And, and I can tell you now, because of the expression of the harvest of peace and the fruit and, and that life and not destruction that I'm living is, is what I want for the whole world. Uh, someone had to go through this so that there would be evidence of the fruit of denying self. Um, when we were called to the pastorate many years ago, um, even though we had been youth pastors for a while, when the, when the Lord actually spoke to us to come into the place to shepherd God's people, it was... Uh, a crazy scenario because it just meant more responsibility. And I couldn't believe that the Lord was calling us to that responsibility 
um, and I actually reacted to the Lord and, and told him that, that I wasn't prepared. Um, in that regards, what, what gave me a semblance of encouragement is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 2, where he says that that which you have been entrusted to, um, and, and this, as we read these scriptures, I pray that, that you not hear my testimony, but that you would come into this place of responsibility also. We can start ver- reading in verse 1, you therefore my son, and be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There's a substance that allows you to take that narrow gate in that difficult way, and it's called the grace of God. The grace of God carries you from the first moment to the very last moment. It's by grace that you are saved. It's not our efforts, it's not our ability, it's not our qualifications. So we need to be strong in the grace, and this is the verse that God spoke to me in verse 2 that said, this is not a task for you alone, because the things that you have heard from among many witnesses Commit these to faithful men. So that's the next line of defense in the work of God. It's not only the man that God calls like Timothy, but that that which was given to Timothy, which he had heard, which he had seen among so many, that he would commit. That word commit means entrust, means the loyalty of men that will be faithful. Commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you have the rung of Paul teaching Timothy, Timothy teaching faithful men, these faithful men teaching others. And this is the line that God wants to see here in the church. And, and that was the encouragement because I knew the call was not only for me, but that God would surround me with faithful men. Faithful men that would be present and that would not leave because if I had a dollar for every man who said he was going to stay, I'd be a millionaire because there are very few that are willing to be faithful. And so we have been, haven't been called to entrust unfaithful men, and trying to decipher between a faithful and an unfaithful man is a real challenging task. Uh, I, I am familiar with baseball players, and I've had uh, the joy of meeting and hearing their conversation, and as they tell me that the people that are playing, playing baseball in the major leagues are not necessarily the best. When I was talking to Armando Ibanez, his brother Raul Ibanez played for the Yankees and played for uh, the Philadelphia Phillies and signed multi-million dollar uh, contracts and uh, became part of the management of the Dodgers. This guy is a full-bred baseball player. And the one attribute that he says that allowed him to become a champion was his faithfulness. He told his brother there were many that were in line to to play his position and to participate, but they would not be faithful. They were the all-stars. They were the best of the best, the cream of the cream, but they had one character defect. They were not faithful. You couldn't trust them. They weren't reliable. They weren't sticking around. It was all about them and not about the team, not about the coach, not about uh, the organization. So we've, we've had that experience as pastors. And, and to be able to culminate Pastor Appreciation Month, I want to tell you that the best of the best are here on our team. Not because of the necessary flawlessness and like Pastor Palmer says, 
we're not perfect, but these, these pastors that serve here at the house of God are genuine and they're faithful. They walk with God. They're, they're, they're legitimate in the expressions of how they walk. If you go with me to 1 Corinthians, you'll see that Paul talks about you not necessarily needing to vet these people with respect to um, their being worthy to be your pastors. But in this regard, in 1 Corinthians 1.26, as you saw the 10 pastors were up here, Pastor Jose Rivera comes to the next service, and, and he's a faithful man. If there's anything that could define his life is his faithfulness, his humility. And there it says, for you see your calling brethren that many, not many, are wise according to the flesh. That, that, that could be the case somewhat. Um, I'm always blessed by Pastor Oscar. Because people are like, well, he, you know, he didn't go to school and he doesn't know how to converse or he didn't know how to conversation. Listen, either did the 12 men that Jesus picked. They were unlearned men. That's why it freaked people out. Why would Jesus pick unlearned men if there were incredible priests that had memorized the whole Torah? The new deep theology that could explain uh, mathematical equations in depth. They were trained up. But here the Bible says, understand that the calling, there's not many wise according to the flesh, according to what you think. And this is my favorite verse for me, because if it's not my wisdom, then it has to be God's. We're blown away every time the expression of the wisdom of God pours out of these vessels. And I, the most foolish of them all, because of my rebellion, because of my disobedience in my youth. And so he says, there's not many mighty. There's not many influential. There's not many noble. Uh, you know, these men that God has called, when, when we try to do a background check here at the church, we say, okay, we're going we're gonna to make sure that our church that's starting out 24 years ago, that was a small church. It was probably 50, 60 people. And we were trying to do everything that a church does and we says, okay, so let's do background checks. Almost everybody had a felony. Somebody had a DUI. Our background is, is horrific. And so that's just more clarification of the glory of God in our lives. That he took wretched people and he cleansed us. That's why when people come and confess their sins, we say, oh, that's it? That's nothing. Should be an altar boy. But the truth of the matter is that God dug deep into the dung to find, except Richie, because Richie was a good man. No, God chose the, we'll see it in the next verse. Verse 27. God chose the foolish things. In order to accommodate your plate, God chose fools to lead you. If you would humble yourself and allow yourselves to be led, you would find life in that narrow gate. And so the wonderful wisdom of God comes through foolish vessels. God has chosen. You don't have to worry about 
uh, I always say, people always call me, they try to defend me. They say, oh, you don't know what they're saying about you. I say, shh, they don't know half of it. Whatever they're saying bad, you can multiply it by 10,000. And that's where God found us, in the deep, deep dung. And it's made us vessels of honor because of his grace. He's given us wisdom because of his mercy. People have come into my office and they talk to me. And these are people from all over the world. And when they see me, they said, man, if he could do it, anybody could do it. That's the challenge. God chose the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things, the vulnerable things. People say, well, why did you let that guy in your church? Because God chose him. I've told people in this church over the years, one man said, you're just dying to get rid of me. Oh, boy. If this was my church, I would have got rid of you 10 years ago. But God has opened up a place for you to come and to participate. God forbid us to diminish those God has chosen. He has chosen the foolish things to shame the wise, the weak things to shame those things that are mighty. I'd rather lead a people that's willing to surround Jericho and, and go around it seven times and shout and praise to bring the walls down and to bring Navy SEALs in with guns and snipers and missiles and rockets. In other words, I'd rather believe that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men, that the strength of God is greater than David who grabbed a little stone and knocked out a giant instead of using a huge sword and a huge spear. So that means that intellectual people are not going to fit in the narrow gate because they want to reason out their faith. And you need to check out your, your reasoning because God will change five fish and two bread to feed the multitude. God will choose bizarre things. And, and that, that causes us to blow a fuse in our intellect because it's not our intellect that will allow you to see the glory of God. Verse 28 He's chosen the foolish things, the weak things, this thing called the base things, the lowest of the low of the world. A lot of people is like, well, they want PhDs. They, they want degrees in theology and divinity. You know what that has done? They started changing the church and marrying homosexuals. All the learned, all the wise of this world. They've wanted to accommodate the world by bringing abomination to the church there's no longer young people one of one of the things that someone set up here i think it was pastor medieros it's not what we know in our intellect as what we show in our example what's that mean the kenny's life speak louder than his sermons that that the fruit of our lives speak louder than any theological depth of understanding so you need to deal with these things. God has chosen the foolish. He's chosen the weak, the base things of the world, the things which are despised, things that no one wants. God has chosen. So that, that becomes a travesty to the world because they want to accommodate their arrogance and their self-sufficiency and their righteousness to be able to participate. 
And the Bible says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Listen what it says next. The things which are not. How could something not be? How could you be below a thing to bring to nothing the things that are? So this is a contrast. As we were talking today in Halloween, that we not participate nor associate with the things of darkness, that has a thousand expressions. There's the most visible rebellion is going around celebrating a druid holiday of witches and warlocks, of potions and black cats and, and brooms. But here we are with a host of people that are being swallowed by hell in our very presence. And then we're sitting right there at the gates of hell, and it's the church that prevails. Verse 29, he continues on to say, no flesh, uh, the reason God did the, these things, choosing the foolish, choosing the weak, choosing the shameful things, bringing to shame those things that are base and are not, the whole reason God has done this is that no flesh should glory in his presence. I can tell you that in the last 24 years that we've been pastoring this church, I have done absolutely nothing. And Jesus has done absolutely everything. Every, every expression of our worship in this house and in this place is an expression of spirituality. You, many people have asked me, why do you have so many pastors? And I said, because I want serious men around me when I make choices. I want to be able to see it from Jules' analytical psychiatric world. And, and that helps a lot. It helps a lot. I want to see it from, from pastors' analytical engineering disposition. Because he'll bring a different view of what's going on. I want to see it from Richie's point of view. I want to see it from my dad's point of view. When I see him at 86, I wish I was in the house of God saying how good and precious it is to dwell with the people of God. Even though it's difficult, but our love abounds and is stronger. To be surrounded in the elements of this atmosphere is what causes things to grow in the purpose of God. I was telling Pastor Oscar yesterday that many times we're like Lot. The expression of Lot was his uncle championed life. And so he followed that because he was coming from nowhere. And as Lot championed life, the Bible says he grew in wealth and prosperity to the point that his workers, he didn't even have workers at the beginning. But now his workers were arguing with Abraham's workers. And so he decided he's big and mighty. I will now come that I'm strong and I will distance myself and separate from Abraham. And he looked over into Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible says when he saw that place to him, it looked like the Garden of Eden, the Lord's Garden. And he walked in the direction of prosperity. He walked in the direction of blessing. He thought, I don't need Abraham anymore because I'm at a point where I have prospered so much, I could separate myself. And as he walked into that place, 
The Bible later describes as a place of constant being plundered, of people falling down tar pits, of kings constantly taking the men captive. The Bible says he and his, uh, his band of, of family were taken captive. And Abraham heard of these things. He saw not only Lot separate, not only go in the direction that was not feasible and beneficial, but now he's being taken captive and Abraham has to go and set him free. And so the question becomes, in your prosperity, are you sufficient to remove yourself and distance yourself from the house of God and from the shepherds of God? So this, this whole play of being a shepherd, being part of God's call to shepherd his people, it has incredible joys, but it has incredible tears. It has, it has dispositions which are not... Um, do not promote pleasure in that regard. Uh, of course, that doesn't define us because we're constantly looking at the mercies of God, the goodness of God, how God is transforming lives. But as the people of God, we have to be uh, consistent with knowing these things. What, what is God doing? How does God do it? How does he move? Why did he uh, do these things? I, I think the easiest thing in the world is to be able to... Um, Look at, at, at the motley crew. A men that, that are not sufficient for these things are the men that God called. Paul calls himself the chief of all sinners, and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. His writings are our eyes to be able to champion life. And so we're, we're called to these things. Um, the world is growing darker by the second to be entangled in the affairs of this life becomes a curse. This Lot who decided to remove himself and distance himself from his uncle Abraham now finds himself having to flee the judgment of God. What does that look like for you? Where thank God in the mercies of the Lord, angels are sent to grab this man and lead him out of the vicinity of destruction because the prominence of his prosperity gave him a place in that city and when he's being ushered out of judgment and his wife delays what i saw yesterday in coral gables were a whole bunch of wives that were dressing their husbands in outfits we're going to coral gables tonight and you are gonna be fred flintstone That, that's no small power, my friends. That's the power of a witch. That she's ushering her family down Miracle Mile dressed like Fred Flintstone. And I'm like freaking out. The, 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 one of the costumes I saw yesterday was the Adams family daughter. Wednesday Adams. And, and, and how sad that a, a demon-possessed daughter is the disposition of your celebration. You would not want that in real life. You would want to flee from everything the devil wants to introduce you to. And we see in the life of Lot, who chose to depart and to have greater expressions of prosperity in this world, came out with zero at the end of his pursuit. He wasn't able to 
remove his wealth from that city that burned with fire and brimstone and ash heap and the judgment of God. And, and not only that, his wife, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. She was entangled in the affairs that were the pursuit of her husband's heart. Because a wife is going to be really into whatever her husband's into. And that's where all the women could say amen. If you don't have an appetite for the things of God, if you don't have it as your delight, if you're not sitting at the banquet table of the Lord, if you're not celebrating the Lord's Supper this Wednesday night coming up, if you're not, you're not counted amongst those who sit to drink his blood and to eat his flesh, we're, we're living a facade. Our walk in Christ is not real. It's not legitimate. It's not genuine. Your children cannot follow footprints that have not been left for them. And so in that regards, we have great joys as shepherds. We have incredible tears having to deal with all manner of situations. I'm seeing here in Genesis chapter 43, verse 30, that there's a relationship with Joseph and his brothers. Imagine this. He sold off. He is now... Uh, he became a slave, then he became imprisoned, and now he's a prince because he towed the line. And his brothers came to see him. They didn't recognize him. It, it was so far off what they were living from what he was living that when he had an exchange with his brothers, and you know what it is to have an exchange with a family member that is not in Christ, and they don't recognize your call, and they don't recognize your devotion and your purpose in God, he says that his heart yearned for his brothers there's a distinction when you raise up as a christian that separates you from your own family that, that that is a mystery that probably when i get to heaven i'll ask him why was there a detachment between what i had heard what i felt and the, the direction i moved towards and and my brother could not see it and my brothers in the faith could not see it. Those who claim to know God cannot see that narrow is the gate. Difficult is the way. Why, why is it that they're thinking to despise the difficult way? Why do they despise supposedly hanging out with the foolish things of this world? That they might participate in the banquet tables of hell. So when Joseph saw his brothers, he made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And this goes deep in. And he went into his chambers, and that's where he unleashed the tears. The, the, the depth of the pain that is caused from, from living the life God has called us to in, in contrast to the other people that can't see it. They cannot participate. Many are those who are led to destruction. Many choose to, to the broad gate, the wide gate. How do we explain it? It's not attractive. I, I've tried a lot of times to say, look, this is the emblem of our faith. It's actually an electric chair. That's where the, the thieves were crucified and criminals were brought to death. And God says that if you don't pick up your cross and deny yourself daily, you're not worthy to follow him. Do you want to come? No. All my friends were dressing as witches this week and playing tennis. And I want to hang out with my friends. 
And if I don't go there dressed like a witch, I think they look at me as weird. There's no fellowship between light and darkness. There's, there's that contrast in thoughts, words, and actions that don't allow people to see it from your vantage point that God has show, chosen you. So when I was leading the youth group, there was about 300 young people there. Um, their parents would tell them, that guy's brainwashing you. So they would come back. The youth used to come back and say, my mom and dad is saying that you're brainwashing us. And I said, no, it's not just the brain. It's all of you. I'm washing you thoroughly from head to toe. And God is washing me from head to toe. And he's not going to leave a semblance of anything that cannot come into the kingdom of God. He's actually removing things from our lives. We're not participating. If you're a parent that cannot tell your child no, he's going to have a rough life. It's going to be a horrible life for him. But if he finds the secret of this life, if he finds the narrow gate, if he's being led by the influence of those people that are greatest in his life, which are his mom and dad, then he might have an opportunity and a hope to come in. I was talking to a young man this week, and I said, look, you're 16 like I was 16, and now you have to make a choice how your future is going to look like because your parents are not going to follow you. They're not going to go in that direction. They're not going to lead. You can't follow their example that doesn't exist. So you need to determine if you're going to fight the battles of the Lord. And there are some people here who have done that. We've, we have young people that are champions in Christ, that they're fighting huge battles to stand up. One of them is Jeremy Zemer. He's decided that he is going to serve the Lord. He's going to fight the battles of the Lord. He's going to be a prince for the God. And so in that regards, it's required that we encourage these people that are moving in that direction. We talked about it on Wednesday night. If you weren't here Wednesday night, we went to heaven and came back and you stayed. If you didn't come Wednesday night, we had a glimpse of heaven. We were sitting there in the glory of God and you did not participate because you only make it a habit if there's a special invitation. Why did I get a special invitation? You did, but you despised it. Your chair's here every time there's a service. You get a glimpse of hearing the heart of God, the voice of God. And on Wednesday, we saw the glory of God. And we worshiped the Lord all night for two and a half hours. It was huge. It was glorious. Let's give a hand to the Lord. And, and, and why, why are we, you know, a lot of people says, Pastor, we got to do that every month. And I said, yeah, you know something, it's great. But one of the things that we've been very zealous about here is to avoid performance. But, but what happened on Wednesday night was not performance. What happened on Wednesday night, I, I was able to rejoice in the Lord saying, thank God that our church is healthy. We have a healthy church. We have men and women whose lives are walking with the Lord. And, and so when we celebrate and sing and we hear the song and the dance, when we hear the testimonies of what God has done, it's glorious. It's, 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 it's through the roof amazing. So I was thanking God, saying, Lord, thank you for a healthy house of worship. Thank you that we were able to move in the direction. Look what it says in Psalm 1833. We read it on Wednesday. That God is leading us to high places. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me on high places. Why? He's calling us to a place that is 
is higher than high. He lifts you up. He turns your countenance from a frown to the rejoicing. He turns your mourning into gladness. And so in that regards, what happened on Wednesday night was, was a disposition. Guys, there's, there's a direction to go even higher in our walk with God. That's where he's leading us. And there's, there's a, a place where other people want to walk and they want to live, and it's the low places. They, they want to be around that which is not beneficial. They, they, their celebration is lame. Um, when we got called from God to go to another level in our walk, it was a huge challenging time to be able to signal, let's go higher in the things of God. That should be the pursuit of your family. Let's, let's move in the direction of God a little higher. Uh, losing our life in this world that we might gain it in the next with regards to peace, with regards to blessing. Um, I told a man once, if your prayer is, Lord, bless me so I can become a millionaire, there's no, nothing wrong with that prayer. The issue is once you become a millionaire and God has given you a couple of million, why do you want five and ten? Because there's no lack of desire for this flesh. The Bible says it's never satisfied. If the Lord gives you a $2 million yacht, you want a $5 million yacht. If the Lord blesses you somewhat. So I tell the men on Monday night, tell the Lord to bless you so you're blessed. And then everything over $2 million, give to the Lord. So that you're well vested in the kingdom of God. They say, why would I do that, Pastor? I say, because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You know what I've done the last 24 years? I've put all my treasure in the house of God. Why? Because this is the, my delight, to be in his presence. Is the faithfulness of God and the peace of God far surpass? Last night when we were walking out of that restaurant and we saw Yvette's childhood friend, everything came full circle. She lost her husband. She lost her family. She's a young girl with a 70-year-old man trying to be loved. And so when the world is calling you in a direction away from Christ, you better run and bow down at his feet because doesn't, you don't even know where, where you're going to end up on the other side of the devil's prompting you away from the things of God. So I want to say that the state of the affairs for the church is a healthy church. Um, we have every expression of dysfunction that could be found in a good family. We have the good, the bad, and the ugly. We have everything to allow our love to be perfected and matured. That's, that's a powerful place. And, and then uh, with respect to what we're going to export from this place, uh, because that's what a pastor does, I've, I've confronted many pastors in the last five years. I said, listen, if after 20 years of your ministry, you do not have men that look like Christ, that walk like Christ, that speak like Christ, your ministry has been a total failure. Because the house of God is a place that God is prepared to overcome the world. In Matthew 16, 18, he says it very clearly there. I will build my church. It's his responsibility. And what is the church for? 
so that the gates of hell do not prevail. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the people of God that are being shepherded, that are being, uh, there's a, a relationship that is very powerful between a pastor, a shepherd, and a sheep. And so that, that whole aspect of Jesus saying, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And there's some people that it doesn't matter how much you speak to them, they're not going to hear you, they're not going to follow. So then you know they're not your sheep. But God has been perfect in all his ways and he's taught us to lay down our lives and our lives are represented by our time. That's what, how you measure life in measures of time. And we have given our entire time to the things of God. That's what, that's, that's, that's what we do. Um, it's 24-7, 365. There's never a time where we stop doing what God has called us to do. And that is the testimony of every single one of our pastors. They will drop whatever they're doing to attend to the cares of God's sheep. First Peter chapter 5, verse 1, he says it specifically what our charge is and it's that those elders who are among you I also a fellow elder writes Peter and partaker of the glory that will be revealed I'm a witness of his sufferings I want to be a part of his suffering so I could be part of his glory also that will be revealed God will pull back the curtains to show these things verse 2 that you shepherd that you shepherd the flock of God some, some people think that we have an obligation to shepherd, like somebody said up here, a rebellious goat. I think it was Pastor Oscar. We have no responsibility to shepherd a rebellious goat. The one that doesn't desire to put forth the counsel of the Lord in his life, but we're to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, serving as overseers. We, we, we see a little bit farther down the road than what you see, not by compulsion, not because somebody's making you do it, but willingly. There's a, there's a, a disposition in our hearts to move in that direction, to shepherd and to oversee, not for dishonest gain. Um, I could rest assured you that the men that were on this platform this morning would be economically rewarded way, way above what they get from the church in their participation. Understand that. The value is through the roof amazing if they were not in these affairs. Verse three, not for dishonest gain, not being lords, not forcing people, not lording over those entrusted. You're not obligated. This is just the counsel of the Lord. You're gonna have to accommodate it and fulfill it. My responsibility is just to give you the word of the Lord, the direction of the Lord, the counsel of the Lord. You have to apply it and make sure that you're living in the counsel of the Lord. Not as lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. One of the most rewarding aspects of my pastorship in this place for over 24 years is during pastor appreciation, the, the number one word that is put on all my cards, thank you, pastor, for being an example. And I'm like, but how about my preachings? No. People, the talk is cheap. But your life speaks and is an example to follow. 
So I, th- I saw that as a blessing because we're living in a life now where a lot of people are speaking and there are no examples. We don't know. I grew up in a church where the pastors used to say, don't look at me. I'm like, well, I go to play tennis. The guy says, look at me. I go play football. Look at me. I go play basketball. The guy says, look how I do it. But you go to the church and then you have leaders that say, don't look at me. Well, guess what? We're telling people to look at us. Look how we do it. Look at our fruit. Look at our lives. Look at the way we do things. What for? So that you might have peace in your house. So that you might have joy in your family. So that you have prosperity in your finances. Peace. This church is amazing. For 25 years, we've never collected an offering. We've never done that. And, and we've always lived within our means and in a beautiful expression of the goodness of God. How does that happen? Because God is faithful. He supplies all our needs according to his riches and glory. There's always sufficiency in the house of God's people. He says, not being lorded, not, not being willful, uh, you're not being obligated, but you're doing so willingly. 1 Peter 5, 2. Being overseers, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Verse 3. Not being lorded to those entrusted, but being examples. Verse 4. This is our reward right here. And I hope that you listen to this verse. Because when the chief shepherd appears, as you treat the under shepherds, so your heart is going to be for the chief shepherd. You're not going to change all of a sudden in one day. Whatever you're used to doing with the under shepherd, when the chief shepherd shows up, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade. There's a great reward in following this disposition and great loss when you have lost the pulse and the heartbeat of God's shepherds. Father, thank you for this day. We pray that have mercy on this city that continues to walk in the ways of darkness and to practice with the deceitful ways of the occult, hidden, druid worship of festival of Halloween. We pray that you open the eyes of the blind and that they might come across someone who would have the decency and the love to share with them that that holiday does not please you, that that festival is an abomination, that they sacrifice their children to these demons of tonight. And we pray somehow that you would deliver this city from the snare of the evil one. We pray the blood of Jesus over our children. We pray that you keep us safe tonight, Lord. Surround us with your tender mercies. We pray that Pastor Richie's evening service will be glorious, Lord, and that you will bring many souls to you tonight. And I pray, Father God, that you might allow us to continue to press in and to have this conversation regarding the narrow gate, which is difficult in its way, and few are there who find it. We pray, Father God, that we might be those that are willing to enter in through that gate, and that we stay away from the convenience of the broad and the wide gate, Lord, because that leads only to destruction. We don't know what that means in its entirety, but we want to avoid it in its entirety. So let your hand be strong upon our lives. Let your blessing be true and fruitful and abundant that we continue to bless your kingdom 
to bless this church, to bless the vision of changing the world. We give you thanks for our pastors and their families and their children. We pray, Father God, for the coming months of glory that we might be able to carry. You said that you take us from glory to glory. Lord, the glory is already thick in this house. And as we move into the next season, Lord, we pray that we might be faithful to serve you with gladness for the abundance of all things, that we might escape the judgment that's coming upon the world because of their foolishness. Be glorified through those shepherds you have chosen, Lord. Thank you for setting them apart. Thank you for their lives and their example. And we pray that you bless them and that you bless the people, Lord, that encourage, that strengthen, and that bless them. In Jesus' name we pray and the house of God says amen, amen, and amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord. Tonight at 6 p.m., there's a service here. Bring your families to a bilingual service. If they want you to go do Halloween, you bring them here to the house of the Lord. Tomorrow night, there will be a men's meeting. 8 o'clock, men's meeting tomorrow night. Wednesday night is the Lord's Supper. Make sure you come on Wednesday night to sit and receive from the Lord's Supper. God bless you.